The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, good morning, Summit Church, and welcome to Church Online. So glad that you chose to dive in this morning, wherever you're at and whatever device you're watching this on. I just know that God has something great to speak to us today. We are in, I think, our eighth week of a new norm for church, a new norm for many of us. And as things start to reopen, as we start to have to figure out and navigate what a new kind of life looks like in a new kind of church, I just want you to know that we are seeking the Lord in all of this. We're trying to figure out what is best for us as a church, what's best for our community to keep them safe and to love our neighbors by being socially responsible. We're trying to do all this. We'd really appreciate your prayers as we navigate the next few weeks or months Uh, as literally the information changes every day. But in this, I've been talking with a lot of people, not so much just about church stuff, but life in general. And I've heard a kind of a scary statistic. In the last couple weeks, people that normally don't really struggle with any kind of depression or just worry or sadness, uh, they're saying, I I just woke up one morning and I I felt different. Uh, Something was off. And and I kind of dealt with some of that. And I'm talking to other pastors dealing with that. Just friends are going, "Uh, this is getting to me. And, And they don't know why. They can't really describe it and they're saying, I don't know what the diagnosis is, but something's wrong. And I just want you to know that today we start the book of Philippians. And months ago, literally months ago, way before there was a such thing as a coronavirus, we decided that we were going to walk through the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is known as the book of joy. And so we picked this months ago, and I can't think of a more fitting time to walk through a book that shows us practically how to find joy in this season. I I can't think of a better book. So I just love how God does that. He orchestrates things way in advance, knowing that we'll need them right now. We need to know right now what it looks like to have joy. And the book of Philippians says this, uh, there is a peace that comes from the Lord that will lead to true joy. And the author of the book of Philippians, his name is Paul, he writes this very personal letter, arguably one of the most personal letters that he writes to a church in Philippi that that he planted, and he just lines it out. He says, hey, here's here's the reality, guys. I've learned the secret. I know how to be content in all situations. I know, to ha- I know how to be at peace. I know how to find joy in all situations. And it culminates in Philippians 4.13. Now you're going, Philippians 4.13, that uh, uh, rings a bell. I've, I've heard that. And Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you grew up playing sports, you probably put that on your wristband, right? All right? And you pray that, God, help me, help me pitch the perfect game. Lord, help me make this free throw. I can do all things through you who gives me strength. But in reality, if you read Philippians chapter 4, he's just summarizing what he's laid out in the first three chapters of the book of Philippians. And he's saying, hey, whether I've got a lot or nothing, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, whether I'm happy or sad, I've learned how to be content in all things because it is Christ who gives me that strength. The context that's really beautiful, but it's a profound statement. I can do all things. I can be content in all things because of Jesus. And I think a lot of us are struggling right now to find our contentment, to find our peace, to find our joy. And so I invite you, I invite you over the next 20 weeks, we're not going to go quickly through this book, over the next 20 weeks to journey with me, to journey with us in discovering what Paul knew, how to find peace that would lead to ultimate joy, because I think, church, we need it more than ever today. Now, 
Uh, we're going to do a little overview. For those of you that love the history, for those of you that love the background of the Bible, you're going to love the next 10 minutes. For those of you who are just like, I want the application, I just want the truth, you're going to love the last 10 minutes. So I've got a little bit for everybody today, but we start with the context. We start with the background, the history of this book, the book of Philippians. It was written by the Apostle Paul as one of the 13 New Testament books that Paul wrote. There's only 27 New Testament books. So if you get authorship of half of the New Testament, that's pretty impressive. The book of Philippians is what's known as a prison epistle, simply meaning this. Paul wrote it while he was in prison. Other prison epistles, Ephesians, which we've done as a church, was years ago, Colossians, Philemon, and then it's debated, but 2 Timothy was written why Paul was in prison, but it's also known as a pastoral epistle because he's writing it as a pastor to another pastor, Timothy. So four or five of Paul's 13 letters are prison epistles. This is absolutely one of them. It's central to the idea of this book that Paul is writing it in chains. His circumstances, he's in prison. His freedom has been taken away, yet he's seen the joy in that because he's at peace with the Lord. Now, when was the book written? Probably 60, 61 AD. Okay, that's just a chronological marker. We don't know for sure because Paul was in prison three times. He was in prison once in Ephesus, once in Caesarea, and once in Rome. He mentions in the book of Philippians the royal palace guard, making us think this was his Roman imprisonment, giving it a later date of 60, 61 AD, somewhere in there. Does it matter for interpreting this book? No. No, it doesn't. But it just provides some context and some history. We know what's going on. We're about to have Emperor Nero hit the scene. There's some things going on if it was him writing from Rome, which I personally believe it was. So Paul writing from a prison in Rome to a church in the city of Philippi, 800 miles away to encourage them. Now, the city of Philippi itself was a Roman colony. We learned that in Acts chapter 16. It was part of the Roman Empire, but it was relatively obscure until 42 BC. And in 42 BC, there was what was called the Battle of Philippi. Okay, and the Battle of Philippi was significant for the Roman Empire for this reason. At the Battle of Philippi, Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius. And what happened at that point was the Roman Republic was dissolved. And from that point forward, you had emperors, you had Caesars. So you had a huge battle between the Republicans of the Roman guard and those who wanted an emperor. The emperor side won, and the future of Rome changed dramatically, and Philippi was the site of that battle. Since the guard changed, many of the Roman soldiers just retired right there. So you have a city some five, six decades later now, that has a lot of old military veterans, a lot of people heavily influenced by Rome, or at least the former ways of Rome. And this is the context for which Paul is trying to plant a church. You don't, you don't have a big synagogue. You don't have a huge presence of godly people. You're hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. You're out there in the, in the middle of Greece with a bunch of retired soldiers. It's an interesting city, but it's there in the region of Macedonia that Paul plants this church. And I love the story of how Paul ended up in Philippi. So Paul had three missionary journeys, meaning three different times he set out from Jerusalem, went on a big loop proclaiming the gospel in different communities. 
on his second missionary journey, he starts the church in Philippi. Now he's just gotten done, and he is thinking he's going to head into Asia Minor, over where Ephesus is, that kind of stuff. He's going to head east, but the Lord literally stops him, it says in Acts chapter 16. Literally stops him and says, no, you're not going east. And Paul goes, okay, where am I going? But he gets no instruction, no direction, until one night he has a vision of a man calling in the night from Macedonia to bring the gospel there. Paul wakes up the next morning, he says, we got to go. We got to go to Macedonia. We got to go west. And this represents the furthest west that the gospel has gone to this point. We read about in Acts chapter 16, verses 7 through 10. When they, that's Paul and his traveling companions, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, that's a city on the coast of the Aegean Sea. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Philippi is kind of the county seat of the region of Macedonia. We're into Europe now for the first time with the gospel. This is huge, but I want you to see how he got there. God literally moved him. God literally moved him to this point. The church in Philippi was started between 49 and 51 AD. We know that because that was the length of time of Paul's second missionary journey. It was probably a little closer toward the end of his second missionary journey. So somewhere between 50 and 51 AD is when Paul rolls into Philippi. He immediately finds favor with a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was a very wealthy and affluent woman, an entrepreneur, a pillar in the community. She was a worshiper of God, meaning she was a Jew who worshiped God in, in her way. She hears the gospel and immediately goes and shares it with her family. Her family gets baptized, and it's from that family, and specifically Lydia's leadership, that the church in Philippi explodes in a great way. They begin to see conversion after conversion. Paul appoints elders, and then he heads on down the road, but it's Lydia. It's Lydia who is championed in the book of Acts as the one who really gets the church in Philippi going. It was the first Christian church established in Greece, and it was the furthest west that the gospel had gone to that point. Now fast forward, a little over a decade. The church is a little over a decade old in Philippi, and Paul is now in chains. He's been arrested for the third time. He's sitting in a Roman prison for doing what? Preaching the gospel. He's in a prison because he preached the gospel of Jesus. He preached that there is this kingdom of heaven, and the Romans didn't care for that one bit. But there's a man. There's a man from the church in Philippi named Epaphroditus. And he came from Philippi to Rome 800 miles with a gift for Paul. It wasn't wrapped in anything because it was money. Somehow they had heard that Paul was in dire need. And the man who a decade earlier had helped get the church off the ground, they knew now they needed to support. So they take up this huge collection and they send it with Epaphroditus and he shows up in Rome and gives it to Paul. And Paul is overjoyed by the generosity of this church, the generosity of his church. Epaphroditus becomes very ill, almost dies. So he ends up staying in Rome quite a bit longer than he intended to. And while he was there, Paul wrote a letter to send back with him saying thank you and giving instructions to the church in Philippi. It's in this letter that we see that over Paul's ministry, over his life, 
He has been searching for peace, a peace that leads to joy. And he outlines this peace that leads to joy in the book of Philippians. And that's why I'm so excited to walk through this book together, church. It's such a beautiful roadmap of how we can live life full of joy. 16 times in this short four-chapter book, Paul uses the word joy or a variation of the word. This is what he wants the church in Philippi to know is possible, despite your circumstances. And I have to believe this is exactly what he wants us to hear today. That there is joy, regardless of your current circumstances. That joy is not found in our stuff It's not found in comfort. It's found in the Lord. And Paul figured it out. And I want to just highlight a few of the passages in the book of Philippians for our moments. Now, here here we're getting, we're done with the history now. We're going to talk about the practical. So the next 10 minutes are, are for you that love that. Paul figured out how to be at peace in all circumstances, even in prison. He's imprisoned, and he figured out how to be cool with that. Philippians 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We'll be covering that passage here in a few weeks. But he's saying, hey, I'm in chains, but it's cool because every day I get to share the gospel with a new prison guard. And they're listening because they have nothing else they can do. So they go home and they share the gospel with their families. Yeah, if I weren't in chains, this wouldn't be possible. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm at peace with the circumstance. He's at peace with the fact that he's probably going to die in prison. Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, that's the ultimate sacrifice. Even if my life is being taken from me, and the service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's two of the 16 times that Paul uses the word joy, and he's talking about his possible martyrdom. Now, whether it happens at the end of this imprisonment or his next, we're unsure, but Paul would be killed. He would be martyred for his faith. So this is not some hyperbole. This is not just preacher speak to to get the church in Philippi to maybe send him another gift. He knows that his life is on a clock. And he says, you should rejoice because of that. This is a good thing. This is a very good thing. Now, there's some good things that Paul has learned to be at peace with and to rejoice in, okay? This peace that results in rejoicing. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then when you've done that, when you've given it all to God, when you've given it all to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hey, church, he's talking to Philippi, but you can listen. Hey, church, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious about nothing. But, but just take it to the Lord. I, I might die. I'm in prison. I, I, just, I give that to God. And then I get this peace that transcends all understanding. It transcends all understanding and That comes through Christ Jesus. That comes through Christ Jesus. It allows me to be happy and to rejoice 
in the fact that I have brothers and sisters around me. I love them. Philippians 1, 3 and 4, and then verse 8. I thank my God every time I remember you, talking about the church in Philippi. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I am so glad that I get to lift you up. I'm so glad that you're a part of my life. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I'm so thankful that we're doing this together. Verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I've learned to find joy in the people around me. Hey, you've, uh, you've, you've, been, you've been contained with a small group of people. Maybe you're going a little crazy. Paul said, you need to be content with your current circumstances. And if you're struggling with them, then, then take that before God. And he'll replace your angst, and he'll replace your lack of ease, and he'll replace your worry. He'll replace that with a peace that transcends all understanding. We need to see that Paul's figured out the secret. I'm sure that there were people in the church in Philippi that were not awesome. There's people in our church that aren't awesome, but Paul was able to find joy from the people around him. He found joy from his devotion to the Lord. Philippians 1, verse 21. Maybe the most famous verse from the book of Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Very short verse with a ton of profound meaning. Um, if I live, more of Jesus. Awesome. If I die, that, that's actually better. More of Jesus. My commitment to the Lord, I, I find joy in it because either way I get to be with him. I just wonder how often we experience these seasons of wilderness and dryness where we're going, I just, I just need something good to happen and the something good is the thing we're running the furthest from and that's God. Hey, for me to live, Jesus. To die, Jesus. All good, all good. Both favorites because I get him. He understood, he, he got it. And he knew ultimately he was living for a prize. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, the prize. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't worry about what's happened in the past. My eyes are set on the future. My eyes are set on the prize. What's the secret? How can we be content in all circumstances? Um, be looking to the prize. So what's the worst thing that can happen? And I don't want to be flippant with this, but what's the worst thing that can happen? You die. You get the prize. You get the prize. How can Paul be content at peace and rejoicing about chains? Because he knows the prize is just around the corner. Todd, that sounds crazy, man. That sounds crazy. That takes some kind of radical faith that I, I'm just, I'm not going to have. I'm with you. I'm with you, but it's not crazy. It's just because we're, we're looking at everything through our eyes and with a worldly view. We, we want the secret to be so much more. 
I do this, then God gives me this, and that will stack on top of this. And then maybe after six steps, then there will be peace. And then once I get the peace, then there'll be six more steps. I have to do four action steps to get to those six steps. And then I'll find joy. But Paul actually makes it really simple. Philippians 4, verse 4. Just rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Find joy in the Lord always. And then he says, again, I'll say, rejoice. Rejoice. Find joy in the Lord. Todd, there has to be more. There has to be more than just giving our stuff to God, giving our circumstances to God, getting a peace that transcends understanding, and then allowing that peace to become joy for us. Rejoicing in the Lord. There has to be more. Okay, uh, you got me. There's maybe one more thing. Okay? The mind of Christ. In Paul's most practical letter, the book of Philippians, in his most practical letter, right in the middle, in Philippians chapter 2, there's this poem describing the mind of Christ, maybe one of the more theologically rich things Paul ever wrote. So you have a book of practicality with this beautiful poem in the middle, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, you need to have the same mindset as Christ. And here's what it is. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was humble. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think in order to step into this peace, we need to one, give our circumstances to God. But we need to humbly acknowledge that we are not God. That he is. That he has put us on this earth to be obedient to him. Maybe even to the point of death. But if we do so, he will exalt us. He will exalt us to the highest place to sit at the right hand of the Father like Jesus does. He gets his place, but we're, we're right there with him. And we do all this for the glory of God. In my opinion, the way that we find peace, the way that we rejoice in all that the Lord does is that we understand that what we do here on this earth is not for us. It is for the glory of God. And Paul so masterfully and beautifully outlines this formula in the book of Philippians. And I invite you church, wherever you're at, however you're feeling, whatever's going on in your world, because it is different than it was three months ago. I invite you to come on a journey that will take us to OU Texas weekend. How fitting. Hopefully we have it. But even if there's no football, will we be content in those circumstances? There's a good test for some of you. Will we be content in all circumstances? Because we know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Will we learn on this journey? Or will we push further and further into darkness and depression because the life that we thought we were going to have is not what we're currently experiencing? I promise you, the life that Paul lived was not the life he dreamed of as a boy, but it was the life in which he found the greatest of joy because that joy came from Jesus. I invite you on this journey for the next several weeks 
I pray you cue in. I pray you allow the Lord to speak to you and work in and through your current circumstances. Invite others into this journey with you. And let's just see if maybe in the midst of a really crazy time in our world where a lot of people are becoming more depressed and more sad, we would see the exact opposite. We would see our joy increase in the Lord. Father, help us press into you in this season so that we might find the peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace will lead to a joy in you that overcomes all circumstances. And God, I don't know anyone walking on this earth that does not need that. So therefore, I do not know anyone on this earth that does not need you. So I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will invade the hearts and the minds of those who are listening right now the Holy Spirit, you will do that for the glory of God so that we would be exalted by you. We would be exalted by you from our circumstance to be able to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Help us, Holy Spirit. Work and move in us, Father. We love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.